0: In Matthew 419, Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hello and welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm your host today, Mark Danzi, and we're really glad that you joined us as we are... Off and running through the master plan of evangelism study from Dr. Robert Coleman, an inspiration to so many people around the world when it comes to disciple making. And I just believe that it's going to inspire you today. And we're actually on the sixth step that Jesus used in discipling his 12 that you and I can use uh, in in, uh, fulfilling the great commission of our life, which is making disciples of Jesus. And so, just a quick recap for you Uh, the first week was on selection. Jesus selected those 12 uh, disciples, uh, of course, he, uh, to be with him. And um, then he, uh, the second step is association, that he did life together with them. Uh, the third is consecration. He set them apart for a specific work to do. Uh, impartation, which is the Holy Spirit. They were given the, the power of God, the creator of the universe, living in their bodies, of course, uh, to live out God's uh, call on their life. Uh, and then we looked at last week demonstration of how Jesus didn't just tell them with words. He demonstrated with his life of what it how to live for the kingdom of God and what is it that God uh, has always dreamed for us and how to live. And so that demonstration really was important. But today we're on the sixth step, which is delegation. Uh, Jesus was always building his ministry for the time when his disciples would have to take over in his, his work and then go out into the world with the redeeming message of the gospel. Uh, Robert Coleman starts with that sentence in this particular chapter because what he's saying is that Jesus began with the end in mind, to steal from Stephen Covey. He always knew that there would be a time where these disciples would need to take over, so to speak, and that time was coming soon. And so he knew that by delegating to them is an important principle in disciple-making. And so the scripture that drives us here at, at 419 is literally Matthew 419, which says, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of people. And so we like to break that down, and I just wanted to share with you. Now, if you're driving, uh, don't, don't take this literally here. Don't do this, but uh, <laughs> if, you're, if you're able to, uh, just kind of reach up and tap yourself on the head and realize that on Follow Me, that's an intellectual decision. Uh, It is a head decision, and it is really about trust and authority. So when Jesus said to those uh, walking along the Sea of Galilee, follow me, and of course he said the same to us, follow me. That's a decision that we make in our minds. We one day literally decide, okay, I've tried life my way. I've tried it to figure out uh, how how to do all this on my own, but now I'm going to follow him. And when we do that, it is an intellectual decision. It's a head decision. The second part of that verse is where he says, I will make you. This is a heart decision. Just tap yourself right on the chest uh, and realize that this is a heart decision. Now, when we say heart, we're not literally talking about the palpitating muscle in the center of your chest pumping blood through your body. Uh, it's more of, uh, of an essence of who you are, your personality, uh, kind of your mind, your will, and emotions, the heart And the Scripture is not silent on the concept of heart, of course. But when he says, I will make you, he's talking about transforming our heart, the affections of our heart, the focus of our life. Uh, This is an emotional decision. It's a decision of passion for us, that God is doing a new thing in my life, and I don't have to live the same as I always have. God's changing me from the inside out. And so when we make the head decision to follow him, then the heart decision comes along, which is transformation of our lives. And then at the end of that verse, that very short verse, Matthew four nineteen, he says, and I will make you fishers of men or fishers of people. This is the hands. This is about spiritual reproduction. This is about doing something with our life. It's about serving. It's about sharing. It's about growing the kingdom. And so you can see right there in that one verse, there's these three main components, the head, the heart, and the hands. It's an intellectual decision to follow him. It's a transformational process when he makes us. And then the spiritual reproduction is given to them from the very invitation. Now, this is kind of different from a lot of the things that, that maybe you and I have experienced in that we think that following, believing in Jesus is just kind of a head decision. But if it goes from our head to our heart, it's going to go to our hands. It's going to go to our feet, and we are going to begin to spiritually reproduce our life in the life of others. That's what it means to serve and to share and to grow the kingdom. And so the patience with which Jesus brought this out to his disciples, I mean, it reflects on uh, his consideration for their ability to learn, doesn't it? He was never premature in his insistence on action. In other words, he doesn't start off in the very beginning of discipling these 12 with these high expectations that they would immediately begin to reproduce. No, Jesus was a realist. He understood that it was going to take time for these people to be ready. And he understands that about us too. The question is, is how much time? I mean, for some of us, we've been in the church half of our life or maybe three-fourths of our life, and we're still not spiritually reproducing in the lives of others. So for us, I would say it's time. Uh, for others, maybe you're new to the faith, and it's really time for you to grow in your faith and get to know the Lord so that you'll have something to pass along. But when we look at Jesus's method here, it was to get the disciples into a first a vital experience with God, number one, and then to show them how God worked before telling them uh, that they had to do it. So he didn't say, hey, the greatest part about this is knowing God is going to be that now you're going to be working for God. No, not necessarily it was about the vital experience with God first, before he began to delegate to them uh, on how to uh, to go and change the world, how to bring the kingdom of God on earth. And so basically, the disciples just kind of watched him for a year or more. Isn't that interesting to think about? Jesus is doing life, he's teaching, he's praying, he's doing all these things, and the disciples are just kind of front row seat, you know? And they're watching, and they're hearing, and they're learning, but the heavy, heavy obligation to go do that doesn't come from over a year into their lives, into their following of Jesus. But nevertheless, he kept the vision before them uh, by his activity. And in his call again to, the, to these four fishermen, he reminded them that following him was to be fishers of men. And so when you think about it, he didn't lay a heavy burden on them at first, but yet it was obvious in him and in the life that he was living. and so in in, in mark 1:17 and in Luke 5:10 if you're taking notes, um, he talks about it, but it doesn't say uh, seeing that they did much about it. So he kind of he kind of takes these fishermen and he, he gives them an expectation But even with that expectation, we don't see in Scripture where they actually did anything much, but just kind of hanging around him and at his beck and call. And so even after they were formally ordained a few months later uh, in Mark 3.14 and in Luke 6.13, they still show really no evidence of doing this evangelistic, gospel-redeeming work. They were just kind of there. Yeah, I can remember the first group I ever led. I, I'd heard the message of disciple-making. I had been in the discipleship group, and I finally said, I'm going to do this. I'm going to lead a group of of men. And so I, uh, God gave me six guys, and we put it together. And, you know, I did not know what I was doing. <laughs> we were together for three years. We prayed a lot. We shared a lot of Scripture. We went through some content. We grew together as really good friends, went on a hike or two. Um, but I can honestly say at the end of that, uh, none of those men really went out and then got their own group of disciples and multiplied. I, if Because of my being naive, I thought maybe it was something I'd done wrong or that kind of thing. But you know what? I've watched these men over the years, and they've done such good ministry. Uh, actually, uh, one of them now has their own group, and others are involved in different types of groups and different types of ministry. One of them, as I speak right now, is in Nepal on a mission trip. And so I don't want to underestimate the, the timing that it takes for folks to answer that call for themselves. It took me 15 years of ministry before I ever <laughs> sold out to disciple-making. And so um, you know, I don't know where you're at, but I want you to be encouraged today. I do not want you to be discouraged that the, the call is there, the invitation is there, and the timing will come for us to step into that. And maybe the timing for you is today. Who knows? But by the time that Jesus began his third general tour of Galilee, so to speak, in Mark 6, um, he realized that the time had come when his disciples could join him more directly in the work. I mean, they had now seen enough to at least get started. And so there was a time in his disciple-making where Jesus started delegating to those disciples. Maybe if you're leading a group right now or you're discipling others one-on-one, maybe the time has come where you begin to delegate part of the leadership to them. I mean, that's what Jesus did. Uh, and you know, the questions we've, we've thought about over the years is, if not now, when? If not here, where? And if not you, who? And so maybe the Lord is calling us to not only just lead, but now to begin to give away that leadership through this principle we see from him in delegation. I mean, he gives them some instructions before delegating to them the mission. And it's a framework for you and I as well. And so let's talk about some of those basic principles that Jesus employed, and maybe we can as well. Now, the first one is that he reaffirmed his purpose for their lives. Go and preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Matthew 10, 5 through 6, he tells them to go to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, for those of you that, that know Scripture pretty well, you'll remember that In Matthew 10, he tells them to go to the lost sheep of Israel. But in Matthew 28, later, 18 chapters later, he's going to drop a bombshell on them when he says, now go into all the world. That was huge because the original assignment was to just go to the house of Israel. Well, that was pretty small considering the size of the world. But he knew they needed to start somewhere, and he delegated them there. It's kind of beginner, so to speak. But he didn't stop there. He knew that, that his plan was evangelizing the entire world so that the whole world would know that God loves them and has a plan for their life. And so this Matthew 10 verse is, is very interesting. We'll kind of stay in this uh, as we look at this framework. Uh, and it was about the kingdom of God. Uh, we I know a man named Aaron Nyquist, and he's, he's written a couple of great books. He's a worship leader. He's really a wonderful, wonderful Christian man. And and he said one time in a group I was in with him, is the kingdom of God is like a river and its current is leading toward the redemption of all things. So just jump in. The current will take us. The kingdom of God is like a river and its current, think about that, is flowing toward the redemption of all things. The things in your life that have been good, the things in your life that have seemingly been bad or heartbreaking or discouraging, God is redeeming all that, slowly but surely. And that is the message of the gospel that we are to take into the world. God is still in control. God still has a plan. And the the current of the river of God, the kingdom of God, is flowing toward total redemption. Man! That is good news. He reaffirmed them of this very, very purpose of their lives. The second thing is, is that he f- said to find like-minded people in the area to stay with. So there's this time where Jesus sends out the 12, and he sends them out two by two, and he encourages them with the God's purpose. And he says, uh, in effect, the disciples were told to uh, to concentrate their time on the most promising individuals in each town who would be able to follow up on the work that, that they had done. And so he. it sounds like a harsh statement when he says, dust your feet off if they don't receive you. But basically what he's saying is, don't waste your time in infertile fields. Don't waste your time in places that are going to reject you. And you should be able to have a sense of who is like-minded, who's hospitable, who's caring, who's, who's interested. And so as we're discipling others, too, this is a very important principle, man. Listen, we have limited time. It's a, it's a commodity that we don't know how much we have, but we know it's limited. And if you're like me, I don't want to spend—I don't want to waste my life. I want to spend my life with absolute purpose and the purposes of God. And so this is what he's saying when he says, find like-minded people to stay with in your area, those that will invite you in. Um, they needed these people to follow up on their work. And uh, this was to receive priority over everything else. Because think about it. When they left that town, what would happen to the message? Well, they would need to be carried on. And so Jesus puts this principle into place. Pastors need to hear this message so much because pastors, uh, I can say this because I am one, is think so much about they're the ones to do the ministry and it's their church. and And they don't think about when they leave that the church actually being better than when they found it. or or, or when they leave, that the church would actually grow more than when they were there. But biblical leadership is about that. It's about the follow-up work once the leader is gone. Jesus knew it. That's why he delegated to the 12. And we pastors need to realize that too. It's time to start equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry, Ephesians 4, and then give it away. He also told them to expect hardship. Matthew 10, 17 through 18. I like this. He says, since a disciple is not above his master or a servant above his Lord. Listen, if Jesus was given a hard time, then why do we expect that for us it's going to be a picnic? And Jesus calls us aboard a battleship, and we get disillusioned when there's no buffet or recreation time. I mean, you've heard this analogy before probably, but the church is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. If you think about the differences there on a cruise ship— it's all about, you know, it's about you and your entertainment and you sign up and you get you know, gorged on food and all kinds of activities. And then you pass out at the end of the night because you're so exhausted and you get up and tomorrow is all about me. Well, if you think the church is that, you're sadly mistaken. No, the church is like an aircraft carrier. It's on a mission. It's on a purpose. Uh, it's about training. It's about camaraderie. It's about fellowship. It's about work. And this is what Jesus was telling them. You better expect this to not be easy, or else you're going to be disillusioned. I mean, it wasn't easy for him. Why would we think it would be easy for us? The most disgruntled people that I know, Christians that I know, are the ones who come to church expecting for it to be a cruise ship mentality versus a battleship or an aircraft carrier mentality. And so the aircraft carrier is about... You know, us coming, uh, uh, getting together, getting equipped and inspired and encouraged so that we can be launched out into a world that's dark and needs to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And so he never let his followers underestimate the strength of the enemy nor the natural resistance of self-serving people to his redeeming gospel. You know, Jesus kept this in front of them. He said, this is going to be hard. Expect this. But in the end, trust me, God prevails. Be encouraged today by that. He also reminded them of the de- divisive nature of the gospel. You know, when you start speaking the truth of God and people who are holding out on God are not going to be happy. <laughs> I mean, if they thought this was going to be easy before, they were assured it wouldn't be now because Jesus said in Matthew ten Don't think I came to bring peace but a sword. Anyone who loves their parents or their children more than God isn't worthy of the kingdom of God. Wow. This is one of those verses that's really hard to read and explain. We think of Jesus as a, you know, with a lamb on his shoulder and a halo above his head, and he's walking about an inch off the ground. And, <laughs> and he says, I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, this doesn't mean that we're to be militant. This doesn't mean that we're to go out and just be offensive or abrasive. No, what he's saying here is that the true essence of the gospel is a divisive message. If you stay true to the message of the gospel, it will divide allegiances. Listen, I have a a wife that I love dearly. I have four children that I love dearly and now a grandson. And the worst thing I could do is to put them above God. My wife and I have this little joke. I say to her, honey, you know you're number two in my life. And she says the same thing. (laughs) God has to be number one. And this message of the gospel is that if you love your parents, This is from Jesus, Matthew 10, 34. Are you love your children or you love your grandchildren more than God? Then you're not worthy of the kingdom of God. That is a hard message. But Jesus tells them this as he's delegating them to go out to be his hands and feet. And so Robert Coleman says that they were going forth with a revolutionary gospel. And when it was obeyed, it affected a revolutionary change in people and the society. So the message of the true gospel, if you don't water it down, can be a divisive message. But the central message is that we put God first and then everything else second. Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things will be added to you. You can have a lovely uh, marriage and lovely children and lovely grandchildren and hobbies and friends, and you can have all this stuff, but God has to be number one. And so Jesus was making the point that the mission of the disciples was no different or the method no different from his own. He gave them the example. Now he gives them the authority, and then he gives them the responsibility through this principle called delegation. I remember when I first became a believer, uh, my spirit was just strengthened on the music of Keith Green. Now, I'm really dating myself there, but Keith Green was like John the Baptist with a piano. And I was a young believer. I knew nothing, really except God must have a better way than the way I've tried to figure out life. And Keith Green, I remember him saying these words between songs at a concert. He said, we are responsible for this generation of souls all around the world. The last generation is not responsible for this generation. The next generation is not responsible for this generation. Guess who is? Folks, we are. If you're listening to this right now, you and I are responsible for this generation of souls. And Jesus knew, Uh, That The only way to reach this generation, to reach the world with the message of the gospel, was through this disciple-making process. And so he sent them out two by two in Matthew 11. They went. (laughs) That's the amazing part of the story. He sent them out, and guess what? They actually did it. (laughs) A few months later, uh, the 70 then were sent out two by two. So think about it. That's 35 pairs sent out a few months later in Luke 10.1. Uh, Plus the four pairs of disciples, that's 39 pairs that Jesus is already in a, say, just a a very short time of of discipling with them. has already sent out 39 pairs. Now, that's interesting because he also gave 39 parables. Parables are earthly stories about a heavenly kingdom. 39 parables in Scripture, and he sends out 39 pairs to explain the kingdom of God. I just think that is so interesting. And it all happened through delegation. And so even after the resurrection, Jesus told them before ascending to heaven on several occasions uh, to go out and do the work. Uh, He told them when he met Thomas in the upper room, uh, at the lakeside breakfast uh, on a mountain in Galilee. And today, Christian disciples are sent men and women. God is a sending God. My question to you today as we wrap this up is, where is God sending you? Uh, we're sent out to do the same work, the same work of bringing the good news, of bringing the redeeming message, of growing the kingdom. This was the message that the Lord uh, was sent and he gave his life for. Jesus did not give his life on the cross so we could have a, a great church experience. He gave his life so that the world would know that God is madly in love with them and has a plan for their life, and you and I are now the mouthpiece of the hands and the feet, to do that as our hearts are being transformed. And so evangelism, or spreading the good news, is not an optional accessory to our life. It's the heartbeat of all that we're called to be and do. It is the commission of the church. Spreading the good news of Jesus is the purpose. And everything the church is about should end in some redemptive purpose. But like many, we think, well, I'm... (laughs) Mark, you don't understand. I've got a full-time job. I've got all this responsibility. We're in this new phase of life. But let me say this to you as lovingly as I can. Discipleship is not an add-on. It's not an accessory of the Christian life. It is the Christian life. It's not an add-on to an already overbooked life. Some of us need to make some space to live a life of obedience to God. We need to say no to some other things. Anne Lamont said that no— is a complete sentence. (laughs) Some of us need to learn to say no with an exclamation point at the end. Discipleship is not something that you're just going to add on to an already overbooked life. And so the best way to practice the principle of delegation is to give practical assignments to those that we're discipling and expect them to be carried out. If you're discipling a group of people, begin to give them, delegate to them assignments. In the coaching world, we always delegate assignments this way. We always say you can say yes, you can say no, or you can counteroffer. Now, if the assignment is going to be a challenge, you might get an occasional no, but you probably will get some counteroffers. Take them, but you'll get a lot of yeses too. But when the church takes this lesson to heart, uh, the pew will move from people in the pew will move from feeling like they're on a cruise ship to an aircraft carrier, launching us out with the good news into a world that needs good news. I mean, it's so funny watching the news uh, on TV. They say good evening, and then they spend the rest of the night telling you how bad it is. (laughs) Well, this world needs good news, and you, my friends, have it in the person of Jesus Christ. So however the fact that one starts this doesn't mean that they'll keep it up. I mean, if you delegate to some people like Jesus delegated to the 12 and to the 70, it doesn't mean because they actually went out and shared the good news or prayed with a co-worker that they're going to continue to do this. And so next week, we're going to be talking about supervision. How do you follow up on delegated work? Well, this is the seventh principle of Jesus in the Master Plan. And so I hope today gave you a fresh insight on delegating the work of Christ as Christ dele- has delegated to us. Uh, not that we're not doing it anymore. We're going to continue to do this work, but we're going to share the load with others. Uh, if you need some in, uh, some resources, we'd really love you to go to 419disciplemakers.org. Lots of free resources for there, there for you. Invite a friend to this podcast. Just send it to somebody, and maybe they'll be inspired by it, and let us know uh, how we can serve you better. What are some areas or questions on your mind that maybe we can take to some of our listeners? And so with all of this today... But looking at the principle of delegation, receive this blessing. May the light of Jesus be your guidance. And may you share that light with a confused person in your world this week. In the words of our pastor, Pastor Steve Wood, go out and give them heaven. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast.